Good evening, everybody. Good to see you all. Let's pray, shall we, as we come to, to God's Word. They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Lord God, we pray that you would reveal yourself to us this evening through your word. That having spent time with you, we pray that we would know you better. That you would remove our fears. That you would give us a deeper faith, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week in the first of this uh, series on work, we started by clarifying that by work we don't just mean paid employment, but as per the Oxford Dictionary definition, it is activity involving mental or physical effort done in order to achieve a purpose or a result. So work may mean what you do when you go to the office or the workshop, but it could mean any of these things on these pictures behind me. Um, what you do when you manage the home, look after the children, um, or if you're retired, maybe the things you do during the week, includes the household chores, the, the admin, um, all those things you have to do which are part of daily living. Well, in our first sermon, series, sermon in the series last week, we looked at praising God for the fulfillment of work. Uh, we saw how God himself enjoys work, uh, both the work of creation, the work of sustaining the world that God has made, and the work of providing for those he has made. We saw how God made people to share in the joy of work, that work was something God gave people before the fall. I heard from a few people um, what it was about their work that they particularly enjoyed. Um, some of that was about using the gifts and the, the abilities God had given them. Um, it was about the enjoyment of, of creation, about being creative, about the joy of helping others. We also saw how our greatest fulfillment comes when we remember who it is that we are serving in our work, the Lord Jesus Christ, not human masters, as we read in Colossians 3. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. Well, I'm afraid uh, this week we're going to look at the flip side, trusting in God in the stress of work, because since the fall, when people decided they wanted to be in control, uh, they weren't willing to submit uh, their lives to God's loving rule. They weren't willing to trust him, to obey him. The world has been cursed. People took on God's role and decided they knew better how to live. Um, they knew better how to decide what was right and what was wrong. And the trouble is that wasn't how we were designed to live. We were designed to love and to serve God. That would have caused us to flourish. Instead, we chose a different route. And the result was catastrophic. Everywhere we see sickness and death, injustice, oppression, natural disasters. As Paul said in Romans 8, the entire world is now subject to decay. Sin has led to the breakdown of every part of life. And one of those key areas of life has been affected is work, which now causes great stress. In his book, um, God... At work, 
Some of you might have come across this by Ken Costa, who is the um, oops, chairman of a, a city investment bank. He, um, he wrote this. He said, of all the lifestyle issues we face today in the workplace, stress is the most prevalent. It is also a national health problem. One in five visits to British doctors by both adults and children is due to stress-related illness. They ask the questions, is it possible to live well in a stressed-out workplace? Is this stress just a fact of, of modern living? Should we tough it out for as long as possible and then quit? Does faith make a difference? Well, these are some of the questions we'll be trying to, to answer this evening. Again, this evening, I'd like to invite a, a couple of people up to share something about their particular work situations. Um, so I'm going to invite um, Shaz and, uh, and Alistair to come up to the, the front. Last week, we, we asked a couple of people about what they enjoyed about their work. Well, but this week, we're going to ask uh, some people about what they find hardest in their work. So we'll start with um, Shaz, if you want to come over. Um, Shaz, tell us, first of all, what it is you do. Um, obviously, you're going to change your work in, yes. uh, very soon, as we can see. <laughs> but um, what is it you do at the moment? I'm an optician, and I work for Specsavers. Right. Um, what do you enjoy about work, your work, and what do you find quite stressful and hard about um, your work? I really enjoy working with people, general public, elderly people, children, everything in between. Um, I've always loved biology and healthcare and sciences, so I just really like the problem-solving diagnosis aspect of the the job. So, um, so yeah, I find it really enjoyable. Um, I find probably the most stressful thing about it is just the busyness of the practice and all of the patients coming in wanting to be seen on time and but also wanting to do my job properly and not rush and not cut corners. Um, so yeah, it's always I'm always trying to find a balance between giving each patient the right amount of time and care and doing a good job for them but also not trying to keep the next one waiting for ages and then also pressure from managers and things to run to time to get as many people in as possible and all of that builds up. Mm. Yeah. Great, great. And you're looking forward to being a mum? Yeah, um, yeah, what are you looking a... forward to about that new role that you're going well, to be in? yeah, I, I, I don't know really. I feel very unqualified <laughs> at the moment. So uh, so, uh, so we'll see. So yeah, what, I've only got one more week of being an optometrist left and then um, I'll probably go back part-time eventually. But um, but then yeah, I start a new job of uh, being being a mum at home, so which I'm really looking forward to, and I yeah thank God he's given me godly women around me to to help as well. But uh, but yeah, that, the challenges of that I I don't know what they'll be yet, but I'm sure there'll be loads. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they will be. But um, yes, let's um, <laughs> hand the mic over so to encouraging, isn't it? <laughs> 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 uh, so tell us a comment about yeah, tell sure. us about um, tell us about what you do. Okay, um, so I'm a uh, board director of a design and environment consultancy. Um, I'm in partnership with eight others, and we employ about 175 people um, across the country in uh, consultancy. Um, what do you do? What do you enjoy? And um, what do you um, find? Uh, uh, what I'd enjoy. Stressful um, about your work. We're, we're a pretty uh, people-focused consultancy. Um, we have a lot of very young, intelligent, creative people, and I really enjoy working with that stimulus. Um, and I guess because of the nature of our work, it's generally very positive. We're often working on brutally 
um, significant projects of scale, and our role really is to integrate those with the environment and work with local communities um, to really come up with the best solutions. So it's essentially a creative process and very collaborative. Um, and what I enjoy. Yeah. And the, the stresses of your work, um, I'm sure. Um... Where do you want us? <laughs> <laughs> well, the guys who I endeavour to pray with every Monday uh, know that I'm a pretty infrequent uh, attendee. Um, time is not my best friend, um, and it's interesting that I think across uh, working life, um, I think managing my expectations of myself as well as as well as clients is really significant. Um, and uh, I would say time is probably the, the most significant issue. The other one, perhaps in more realistic, is that in having that responsibility for 175 families, essentially, um, that responsibility for retaining economic stability and a healthy work environment for people is something that, as a group of leaders, we share very strongly, uh, but it brings its own pressures um, as you face economic uncertainty. Great. Well, thanks very much, guys. Thank Glad that from you. And, yeah, again, um, at the end of the service, do you feel free to talk to one another and um, ask each other about what are your stresses, what are your joys in your particular work you do, what have you been doing this week that you're, you're dreading um, or maybe you're looking forward to? Um, do pray and share with one another. Well, let's turn to Genesis um, 3, which um, Rob read for us, and have that open as we... As we go forward. Uh, the first thing I think we need to take from this passage is that we should expect work to be stressful. At the end of uh, chapter 2, we're told Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. But the first thing that changes after they commit um, a sin in verse 7 of chapter 3 is then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. They feel shame. Shame is that feeling of humiliation or distress when you, you know you've done something wrong. Adam and Eve realized that what they'd done was wrong and that sense of shame has been inherited by human beings ever since. Deep within us, is an awareness that something is just not quite right. Tim Keller describes it like this. He says there is a deep restlessness which can take various forms. Guilt and striving to prove ourselves. Rebellion and the need to assert our independence. Compliance and the need to please others. There are different ways in which people were today try and make sense of this restlessness or they try and distract themselves um, uh, from it but the explanation the Bible gives for it is that we've been separated from God that's the cause of all our problems have a look down at verse uh, 17 of uh, chapter 3 to Adam God said because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you you must not eat from it cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, the dust you are, and to dust you will return. 
The ground will still produce food, but um, in order to produce that food, it will require painful toil. It will require the sweating of your brow. As a young person, I used to work uh, at my uncle's garden nursery, and um, that was hard work. It required a lot of sweating of my brow. Um, But I'm sure any of us who have a garden will know just how hard it is to keep a garden looking nice. And if we try and grow vegetables, um, that brings with it even greater complications and stress and sweat. In the beginning, before humankind had a chance to fill the earth and subdue it, um, the the so-called cultural mandate that we looked at last week, it was an agricultural economy. But the same principle about work applies to us in the 21st century. Even if machinery, even if computers have made work easier, there is still stress, there is still boredom that comes with work. And we may wonder, what is it all about? It all seems so fruitless. As the author of Ecclesiastes writes, Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done, and what I toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. The passage here in Genesis tells us that the curse on work will last throughout our lives. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Until, of course, Jesus comes again. And this fallen earth is renewed and work once more becomes what it was meant to be, an enjoyable pastime. The question we're left with is that if work is hard, what do we do about it? Do we just accept it? Well, the good news is that there is relief. When Jesus came, he said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus isn't talking here about having some some time off to, to recover when you've had a stressful time at work. He's talking about a deeper issue. How do we find rest for our souls in the stress of work? And the answer is by giving him our burdens and trusting in him. Let's have a look at some of the different types of stress and how trusting in him will help us cope with it. First of all, trusting in God helps us overcome our worries about work. What are the type of worries we have about work? And maybe the fact that, um, as we've heard from Alistair and, um, and Shaz, there are just too many demands and not enough time um, we won't be able to cope. There's no sign of it getting any easier. It's just going on and on. Maybe we, we fear losing our job. And then how will we be able to provide for our family? Maybe we fear that something will go wrong. Maybe we fear failure. If we're looking after children, we may be worried about their safety, their their health, their their happiness, their their progress. If we're in sales, we may be worried about the monthly figures. Are we going to reach our target for this month? If we're in teaching, we may be worried about uh, 
being able to control that difficult student in our class or um, about the exam results because they reflect on us. If we're retired, we may be worried about our own health or the health of our spouse or um, just how we're going to get the dishwasher fixed. If we're in management, we may be worried about the decisions we have to make. The staff, we need to care for the deadlines we need to meet. The thing is, there are a whole lot of things that could go wrong. And many of those are outside of our control. And for many of us, there's a feeling that we, we want to be in control. We have to be able to fix those problems that, that arise. It's uh, like the old children's TV program. I don't know if it's still on these days, Bob the Builder. Um, can we fix it? Yes, we can. We will fix it. The trouble is when that attitude becomes excessive, it leads to greater stress, greater overwork. We try and think and prevent anything that possibly could go wrong. And it leads to anxiety. When we feel we, we haven't got things under control. When that email from work comes in, in the evening when you've got back home from work and you're relaxing with your wife, what do you do with it when your phone pings? Well, the person who likes to be in control has to look at it. They can't help themselves. They, they can't cope with the idea that something's happened that needs fixing. Ken Costa compares the, uh, the worries that we experience in the workplace with the seed in the parable of the sower, the seed that falls among the thorns. It describes a person who hears the word and responds, but we're told the worries of this life The deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. And that choking, he suggests, is similar to the experience of worry that work can bring for many people. It's not just a a coughing fit, but a, a totally overwhelming choking, almost like a drowning experience. So what do we do with that worry? What do we do with that fear? We turn to that um, passage in Mark's Gospel that, that Rob read for us in Mark 4:35. Because this passage, interestingly enough, comes just after that parable about the, the seed. Remember the number of the, uh, the disciples were fishermen, so this is their, their, their workplace, if you like. Um, having spent the day with Jesus, listening to his preaching, there might be a sense of almost relief to be back doing something which um, they were experienced at. They were back out in a boat on the lake. But then a storm blows up, and pretty soon we're told the boat is nearly swamped. Isn't that what we often feel, that we're, we're nearly swamped? We might not literally be swamped with water, but we might feel swamped with the pressures of work. So what do the disciples do? Well, they wake Jesus up, and they say to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Now, I don't know what they expect him to do. As they, they have experienced fishermen. They're the ones who know how to man a boat. But Jesus gets up. He rebukes the wind and the waves. And immediately, everything is calm. Jesus is in control. Wouldn't you love that to happen when you feel in that hopeless situation? Totally outside of your control for suddenly... Let to be calm. What does Jesus say to the disciples? He says, why 
are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Why did he say that? And as fishermen, they would have uh, been experienced. They, they, they knew some pretty tough situations out on the lake. They must have known that this situation was desperate. You can't really blame them for, for being afraid. But what Jesus was challenging here was not their, their competence, not their assessment of the, the situation in which they found themselves. He was challenging their faith in him to be able to do something about it. And I think we can learn a lot about this. Our situation at home or at work may be really serious. It may feel like we're totally out of our depth, that we are about to drown. But Jesus is still in control, and he can sort out your situation. And it doesn't mean every storm will be calmed immediately. It doesn't mean that there won't be mistakes in the workplace. It doesn't mean we won't be mistreated or that we might even lose our jobs. But Jesus is still in control. And his purposes for us are always good, even if it takes us a while for us to understand what that good is. And I hope that's a reassurance for us as a church at this time. So when we feel that the waves are sweeping over us, remember this story and take comfort also from the words um, from Isaiah 42, when God says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Trusting in God helps us to overcome our worries about our work. But another challenge that we might have in our places of work is, uh, again, one which results from the fall. And that is the fear of people. And again, trusting in God helps us overcome our fear of people. Let's go back to Genesis 3. Because another impact of the fall was difficulties in relationships. We said before how Adam and Eve realized they were, they were naked, they felt shame. But what did they do about it? We were told that they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. This is just um, embarrassment about their bodies. It shows they are no longer able to be completely open with one another. They are hiding behind coverings. They're covering their shame. And they want to control what the other person knows about them. It's mistrust. It's fear. And when you have mistrust and fear, it quickly leads to friction in relationships. It quickly leads to the blaming of others. So when God asks Adam, have you eaten from the tree from which I commanded you not to eat? Well, the truthful answer would be yes. I'm sorry. Instead, he replies, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. In the same way that he deflects the responsibility to Eve, so she deflects the responsibility to the serpent. They even blame God for their problems. The woman you put here with me. And what this act of rebellion has done is cloud their awareness of the, the seriousness of sin. It causes them to be concerned only with justifying themselves. And the result, we're told here, is that there will always be tension between the genders. God says to the woman, your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. 
In other words, he will seek to usurp the role that I've given him. He will exploit the role that I've given him by demeaning you. Conflict and unhappiness will now characterize relationships between men and women, but they will also characterize all relationships, and especially in the workplace, where people who may not choose to work alongside each other are forced to do so. What are some of those situations which you might experience? Maybe a demanding boss who doesn't um, like to take no for an answer. Maybe you're about to leave the office at the normal time because you've arranged to go and meet somebody and your boss stops at your desk and asks you to prepare something for him which he needs the first thing in the morning. I'm sure Alastair wouldn't do that to his colleagues. What do you do? What do you do? Well, fear of people is not just fear of letting your boss down. It's also a desire for approval. Um, maybe you have no obligation to work late, um, to take work home with you, but you do so because you want to make a good impression. When we're driven by winning other people's approval, it can lead us to, to undermining the truth, to doing things which we, we, we know we shouldn't do. When something has gone well, maybe we feel the need to mention our contribution in that, just to slip that into conversation. And if something's gone badly, maybe we gloss over what our involvement was in that. It's subtle, isn't it? But we, we, we justify it to ourselves because we haven't told a direct lie, but at the same time we haven't been fully honest, have we? It's amazing how easy we can convince ourselves that what we're doing is okay. Fear of people can also lead us to doing something that goes against our our Christian conscience. So how do we deal with our fear of people? Well, quite simply, we fear God more. Fear in the sense of wanting to please him, to obey him, because we know that he is the ultimate authority over our lives. Jesus said, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, And after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Or Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? If we're worried about what other people think of us, it's because we are putting ourselves first. When we forget ourselves and put God first, if we believe that we have his approval already in Christ, nothing can change that, then however well or however poorly we perform in the workplace, then we will be free to serve others better. And that helps us with uh, other people-related issues in the workplace. It helps us with conflict. Conflict will come in the workplace, whatever workplace you're in. There are very few workplaces are free from conflict, even the Christian workplaces. As Tim Chester writes, he says, Work throws a group of sinners together in close proximity and then often puts them under intense pressure. It's like, what do we expect? We often think, well, if I change job then that will solve the problem. But it just means you'll find another group of people who are difficult to get along with. We have to realize that the problem is not those other people. The problem is us, isn't it? 
um, as it says in James 4, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires? The battle within you? It's very easy to point to somebody else's unreasonable behavior or the pressure you're under. But when you respond in an ungodly way, it's because of your heart. The sinful desires of your heart have been threatened or frustrated. And it's often not because our our desires are wrong, but because they become more important than God. It's not wrong to want greater responsibility in your work, to want to be appreciated for what you do, to want to change something you feel could be done better. But if you become bitter when those things don't happen, then they become an idol. Your frustration, your anger is a sign that something is wrong, not with the other people, but but in your heart. Maybe your idol is your need to be in control of those things. Frustration shows itself not just in an, an outburst of anger, but also in just the attitude of your heart. Maybe you, you respond by making a sarcastic remark about that person you really find difficult to deal with. Maybe just go and have a sulk. Maybe you have a moan to others. They're all just as bad as an outburst of anger. So next time you respond in a way which you know is ungodly, ask yourself, why was it? Maybe if your work is parenting and uh, you're getting frustrated with your child, what does that, again, what does that say about the idols of your heart? Is it an idol for, for leisure, an idol for an easy life? In each case, take it to the Lord, ask him for his forgiveness and ask him to implant in your heart the wisdom that comes from heaven because the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure then peace loving considerate submissive full of mercy and good fruits impartial and sincere peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness and of course, the greatest peacemaker is the Lord Jesus Christ himself, isn't he? Um, none of us will be able to be perfect peacemakers, but we have one who has already done that. If maybe after analyzing your heart and um, praying, getting the advice of a Christian brother or sister, as we were looking at uh, this morning, somebody who's been able to be honest with you, Maybe you've come to the point that maybe it's not an idol in my heart. Maybe it is a a behavior or a practice that's going on in your workplaces that's just not right, and you're not comfortable with that. And it may be it's the right time to move on. But at the same time, it may be you who God is using to change that practice, that situation, and that workplace. That may be painful to have to go through that, but maybe that's what God wants you to do. We'll come back to that a bit next week when we look at the focusing on God and the motivation for work. But let's finish um, uh, this time this evening by thanking Jesus for the peace that we receive as we put our trust in him. This is what Jesus says. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. Amen. Let's have a moment of quiet just to reflect on those words and some of the the troubles may be in your situation where you need that peace. And maybe call out to the Lord for help.
Allow him to take your worries and your struggles. And Simon will come up and pray in a minute. Just as we were praying, just this evening, I was just reminded of that story at the end of John. You know where um, the, cruci- the disciples have seen Jesus crucified and um, what do they do? They go back to their jobs, don't they? They go back fishing. And do you remember they're sort of fishing all night and it's completely fruitless and they, and they fish and fish and fish and nothing happens? And then, of course, they see the resurrected Jesus and he says, cast your net over the right-hand side of the boat just one more time. And, of course, there's a miracle, isn't there, of the abundant fish. There's so many fish that actually they can't haul the net back in. I think that's a really good reminder to us, isn't it, that so often, I know in my own life, when I'm stressed about something, it's usually because it's something outside of our control, isn't it, something we can't control. And usually we're trying to do something in our own strength. And, of course, that story reminds us that we just have to hand that burden over to Jesus and do things. When we do things in his strength, then you get this abundant abundant catch I just think it's important for us how do we hand things over to the Lord we have to hand them over to him in prayer don't we so that's what we're going to do now Um, I'm going to base these prayers on again some beautiful scripture in Philippians 4 verses 4 to 7 so let's, let's pray rejoice in the Lord always I say it again Rejoice. Lord, we praise you tonight. We lift up the name of Jesus and we praise your holy name. We rejoice that you've called us. We rejoice that we are your people. We rejoice, Lord, that you know all of our needs. You know the things we worry about. You care. We rejoice, Lord, that you've dealt with our sin and that we will be saved from death and from your wrath at the end of time. We rejoice, Lord, that in your perfect timing you will come again. You will deal with all the wickedness and godlessness and stress that we live under in this world, and thank you that we'll be living under your perfect rule and under your perfect righteousness. Thank you, Lord, that we can rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Father, help us to be distinctive in this dark world. Help us to be a shining light. Help us to point people to Jesus. Holy Spirit, fill us afresh so that we may be overflowing with your love and your joy and your peace your patience, your goodness and faithfulness, your gentleness and self-control. Lord, we cannot express these fruits in our lives without you at the centre. Help us, Lord, be the people that you want us to be. Do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God.
Father, we confess our anxieties and worries to you. And we pray, Lord, that you will help us to trust you more with whatever it is that's weighing us down. And Father, tonight we've been uh, talking about a really important subject in this world we live in. So many people are stressed, Lord. And there'll be people here, Father, whose workload feels intolerable, who are facing people issues at work, who feel anxious just at the thought of going into work tomorrow morning. Lord, we lift them to you. And we pray that you will have mercy and that you will replace those stresses with your peace. Lord, there'll be others maybe who are fearing losing their job. Again, thank you that you are a God who provides for all of our needs. Help us to remember that, Lord. Help us not to fear. And for those who are currently out of work, Lord, thank you that you do provide. And in your timing, you'll provide the right work. You'll certainly provide all of their daily needs. Thank you that we can trust you, Lord. And that you guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.